Hello, welcome to episode 34 of We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion that to the uninitiated major sound like screaming and crying. I'm Adam, and I'm here with Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk about politics and political things generally. And my new vape. It's so good. Your new vape. Mm. It's gold. It's pretty fucking gaudy. It straddles that line between... Because it kind of looks like a sovereign in cigarette form. It's really long. Like a sovereign ring. Oh, <laughs> actually, yeah, kind of. Like, but it also, yeah, it, it, it's, it's the that go- shade the, of cheap gold. The golden black uh, when we were coming up smoking. <laughs> like, it, it, it's very evocative, very like, you know, the embassy finals, it's snooker. A, it's you the know. size of a super king. Reminds me of being like 13 again. <laughs> it's the best value. It's the biggest cigarette. Well, yeah, they are the best value. They're the best cigarettes. You get the most cigarette. Everyone, the best cigarette is a sovereign cigarette. Virginia's mm. Embassy Number One. I really like Embassy Number Ones. Yeah. Liked. I don't like them anymore. No, I don't like any cigarettes anymore. Yeah. It's disappointing. I had a cigarette outside work the other day. Mm. Someone was smoking, we were drinking and that. Let me guess. It was because you work in the media. Was... It was a Marlboro Light or it was an American Spirit? Uh, no, I think it was a B&H Silver, which is actually an all rights fag. Stealing yeah. your mother's cigarettes. Yeah. No, if someone that people the people who smoke cannot understand that, like I'm totally okay with it because I was a quite a heavy smoker. Yeah, I've smoked a lot, and people can't quite understand. It's like, how did you give up and started like, tooting I, on this space flute? Like more nicotine. Yeah, it's like it serves my nicotine purpose as well. Don't I, I don't believe me. I had the same like <laughs> wavering when I first went onto it, but I wouldn't look back now. I have no desire to get back on the facts. No, I've got a better lung capacity to fill my lungs up with nicotine. Yeah, vapor. If, anything, <laughs> if anything, I get more nicotine. Yeah, my heart is like a hummingbird at all times. <laughs> yeah. So we're continuing our series. It turned into a series somewhere mm. along the way. Part two of three mm. on kind of politics in the 90s and yeah. beyond. Yeah. We're into Tony Blair's era now. We did John Major last week. We did. We're going to try and... Explain about how John Major is was like the May of his time. And May is John Major... And how his government was wrapped with sleaze scandals. Which yeah, sex scandals. The news. I would actually like to. I was thinking about the comparison hmm. actually earlier on today. Um, we'll get on to Blair in a minute, but I, I do want yeah. to do the like the comparison. The kind of manner of sleaze in Major's era was very much like this guy when homosexuality, when people were embarrassed about being out as gay, hmm. and there was it was more restrictive around uh, being gay. Maybe maybe not in all places in London, but certainly in other places in the country. And it was all kind of they've been seen on holiday, or or the other side of it was they've got really weird sexual habits, hmm. which. Isn't really anybody's business other than their own, but back then was enough to someone else's handbag. Yeah, (laughs) could resist, could you? (laughs) Just don't Um, say his name. It's fine. Yeah, it's it's not. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not going to defend it. Um, (laughs) Someone else's handbag can't consent. I'm not going to defend anything. (laughs) I'm just going to. They're nobody—they're yeah, nobody's business but their own. But yeah. there's still the, the whatever you would call the moral shame, the fact that people weren't, yeah, um, weren't accepting of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you want to get pissed on, get pissed on. That's fine. And it seems like the current crop of sleaze has that similar thing to it, except the obviously the sexual harassment side of it is mm. not not good. But the reason um, why, but there's they, they, the Tories don't seem to have moved on in their kind of internal attitudes because it yeah. was an internal list that's been going around. 
and they don't seem to have changed in their inter- like their internal attitudes, mm. which is he's been seen out with a man, but mm. hasn't made the requisite statement mm. to say that he's gay or you know yeah. anything like that. It's it's an odd one. It's 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 different but the same. But I think most of the people reading it, the they they know which they. they with the list, you mm. know which ones to go, uh, and which mm. ones to go to just go. Well, that's not that's just nothing. Yeah. Um, but we predicted the future because we, we're bang on the pulse of current events, yeah. and in fact, it's preceding them apparently mm. yeah, by it's... covering the last round of the last big round of Tory sleaze in the early nineties. Mm. It's because I'm um, I was doing a lot of stuff in my basement, and there's a big cable in there which is directly linked to all of the collective unconscious of of the city <laughs> and I can't resist it I see a thing I chew on it like a rabbit and so I was just sucking into it it was just absorbing into me and I was just having these weird fever dreams you just sleaze sleaze <laughs> you just had visions they weren't in the right order but you had to you had to interpret them visions of handbags handbags sharing a room with an aide Giving business cards to aides and taking them on arms deals. You have now reached your uh, allowable three libel limit for the podcast. There's nothing wrong with me saying handbags. There's nothing wrong with you saying handbags. Yeah, it's... uh, (laughs) Okay, but yeah, so we did predict the future and now we're going to Blair. And now we're going to go and predict the past. And hopefully... The stuff we talk about isn't what's going to happen with Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> Jesus. I don't think it can do. No, he's not going to take it, a hard Blairite turn. That would be kind of funny. <laughs> like, you, oh, God, you could see it. Like, he wins the election. He comes out. He's standing on Downing Street. And you notice he's got a retinal bleed. Mm. And he keeps... And, like, one of the eyes keeps on going down. You see, like, a slight scar there's in a black, his temple. Yeah, there's a black mark there where <laughs> none was before. Yeah. <laughs> and he's suddenly a very different man. In fact, he speaks with Tony Blair's, like cadence and his mannerisms no one's seen Blair <laughs> he's had his brain put into Jeremy Corbyn's body <laughs> I mean the yeah I think the risk is not that huge because they came from very different they came from very different places mm. and to start with Blair Blair came along across a party that had kind of lost four elections in a row mm. very very down in the dumps didn't seem to like chime with the with the particular historical moment. Mm. I mean, a lot of people say about um, Tony Blair that he ruined the Labour Party, but like his element, his tendency has been in there, had been in there for a long time. Like, um, like um, even as far back as James Callaghan in mm. the seventies, um, during all the kind of currency crises and, and all of the economic turmoil of the seventies, yeah. which was, you know, I don't think anybody would look at it and say it was well I think plenty of people would call it like call it caused by like socialism or mm. trade unionism whatever you want it was a fully financial crisis based on like post imperial factors and Britain's general decline from a Victorian high point um Callahan told the, the party conference in 76, we used to think that you could spend your way out of a recession I tell you in all candor that this option no longer exists in many ways Callahan, Kinnock, and even uh, old John Smith mm. had kind of paved the way. They'd done. They'd actually made the hard speeches, so that by the time Blair came in, I think he could talk kind of more softly. Maybe he was more adept, but also the hard lifting within the Labour Party had kind of been done by the lack of like lack of electoral success. Yeah, they'd already you 
decided to be a bit more to the right and you know, be yeah, a bit like factory. Kinnock, Kinnock shouting at the Labour conference, mm. expelling militant, like coming down very hard on Labour councils who were mm. too left wing. Yeah. They had been disciplining the party for a good 20 years before, mm. before, before Blair. Blair. Rocked up. Yeah. And they'd already been shifting all the power in the Labour Party as well, hadn't they? Yeah, they they so they had um I think they changed the union's block vote uh Kinnock had. Kinnock didn't really side with the miners in a very effective way. Mm. I don't know I mean I, I don't know the dynamics of it. I don't know what he actually could have done, but he did, certainly didn't help. No. For fear of seeming on the side on the wrong side of, of history. Yeah. You know. So he kind of came into a party that was definitely ready for a different kind of uh, they were ready to win, mm. you know. They were ready. They were At ready to cost. actually win an yeah, actually win an election. And the kind of historical moment that he came into was also kind of like it, it made itself for a kind of smooth talking Labour rightist who said the right things mm. on progressive accounts, but didn't actually wasn't concerned with the things that maybe the Labour Party had been concerned with in the past. Yeah, they're ready for a manager who has um, dressed down Fridays. Yeah. I mean, I've mentioned The End of History by mm. Francis Fukuyama, like mm. an article he wrote in 1989. A quote from it here, At the end of history, it is not necessary that all societies become successful liberal societies, merely that they end their ideological pretensions of representing different and higher forms of human society. So he's coming into an environment that, on a class level, wants to maintain a particular hierarchy, wants to maintain particular privileges on the basis of like the middle class and the upper class. Mm. They want that unharmed. Thatcher had done the, the heavy lifting of destroying working class communities and working class organisation generally. Mm. And he came in and he was the peacemaker. So he could bring the classes together and... There would be no kind of utopian ideal. There would be no better society because we have the better society. We just need to tinker around the edges, mm. that kind of thing. So he comes in and he's totally dedicated to being um, electable. There's a certain element, like I say, Thatcher destroyed the kind of working class organisation, the power of the unions. He doesn't have to deal with them in the Labour Party, even the, the, the left as well, as a, the, the, the far left, who are the hard left? Mm -hmm. The hard left are um, in retreat, partially yes, because captured. of, there's this weird complicated, like obviously most of them are Trotskyists, so they're not that fussed about the end of the Soviet Union, but I think even they would admit that the failure of the kind of most successful mm -hmm. socialist society definitely put them back theoretically and kind of took the took the wind out of their sails that I think we're now only just recovering from. Some of those worst of those groups said, well, that just shows that it was, we were right all along. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't get where they get that because that's like the Trotskyist thing is like the Soviet Union was state capitalist. So it's a capitalist mm. society. It just happens to be a different form of capitalism. Therefore, it's not socialist or mm. whatever. And yet, they would say that it's inevitable that it would collapse. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, in a general kind of communist sense, I think capitalism it, collapses and capitalism looking for theoretical falls away. For, well, the, reason, yeah. the, reason, the reason why Trotskyists hate a thing is because they're not in charge of said thing. Mm. That's, that's probably not completely fair to every Trotskyist group, no. but it's fair <laughs> to most Trotskyists I've read about or met. <laughs> um yeah, so you know the old the old heroes the the old heroes of the Soviet Union or whatever couldn't be looked to as an example anymore. Mm. America seems to be resurgent mm. under a 
socially, let's say, a socially liberal leader who they can't entirely write off under Clinton. Mm. Smooth talking jazz musician. Yep. Nothing ever goes wrong with that. <laughs> with uh, busy hands. Ugh. Mm. Um, I don't think it was the yeah it was the right historical moment for that 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 person to emerge in the form of in the form of Blair. Mm. Yeah. So he kind of has the run up to the ninety seven election. It seems like a shoe in because the Tories, even though they snuck out a surprise, we covered last week, they snuck out a surprise victory in nineteen ninety two. By nineteen ninety six, they're they're really on they're, their ass. They've had economic collapse, which they've still been blamed for, despite that the fact that generally the kind of macroeconomic situation is a lot better. Mm. Um, something that they never tire of reminding people when people talk about Tony Blair's successes. Mm. You have. A general sense that things are on the up, like mm. that that kind of the Fukuyamian. Yeah, Britain's a place on the grow. Yeah, the West is a place on the grow. The cool Britannia thing, like Britain's culture, mm. the freeing up of that certain, like we discussed last week, the kind of Gen X class going into culture rather than other things produces this whole crop of musicians who maybe hadn't like quite gone past their prime or yeah. there's a recalling of like the 60s and that cultural kind of heyday. Mm. Like, you know. There's some terrible bands. Yeah. Um, but Tony Blair has to deal with, he's more of a kind of person who he deals with things as he sees them. Mm. So he looks around in 1997 and he's like, well, a load of people have stopped voting. The Tory voters are going to be Tory voters. I mean, you've still got people kind of war or post-war kind of older people who are going to vote Tory whatever, mm. Churchill, blah, blah. What we need is we need to appeal to the aspirational middle class. Yeah. So they're looking for this the, the, medi- the median voter, the average voter. This idea kind of has come up for years and years, like it used to be the man on the Clapham omnibus, mm. um, Essex man, Basildon woman, mm. things like that. They identify like their ideal swing voter, somebody yeah. who isn't ideologically committed to any particular thing, but they know that the things they want, they will vote for. Yeah. And Tony Blair's particular one was Worcester woman. Worcester woman's a working class woman in her 30s with two children who worries about quality of life issues and has little interest in politics. So they're trying to deal they're trying to deeper i mean in their view they're dealing with people who have been depoliticized by yeah. kind of natural the natural outside forces that they have nothing to control because they've given up this utopian intent they've given mm. up this this idea that there's a higher higher form of society that you can transform society in any other way other than a kind of a, a general marching forward with technology and then boom everything's solved yeah so you're aiming for people who have don't have any interest in politics. And their idea is that if you've got 30% of voters on one side, 30% of the voters on the other, the government's formed by the 30% in the middle. Yeah. Right? 33% or whatever. Yeah. So they're going to go out and appeal to them. And it involves detoxifying Labour in the sense that you need to make them not seem dangerous. Mm. A lot of what happened with Neil Kinnock was that he, the papers made him out to be this big threat. In the same way as they do with Jeremy Corbyn now. Yeah. He's this dangerous, but you can't trust him. You yeah. don't know, he's Welsh. Yeah. He might do anything. Just steal your wooden chairs mm. and your legs of beef. And he can give... There's a lot of like childcare stuff. Education mm. is his thing. It's a, I'm just a normal man. I just, I just want my kids to go to school and then I want to be able to go home to my house and watch TV. Um, that kind of thing. Play sick electric guitar riffs. 
<laughs> sick electric guitarist. That was never... He had a thing with football as well where there was a whole thing. I don't think it was actually accurate. He wasn't quoted accurately, but there was a, a myth for a long time that he had said when he grew up in Newcastle. Hmm. 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 Yeah. Um, he had watched Jackie Milburn um, in the 50s uh, or the 60s. He had watched him play at St. James's Park. What's like when he was a kid. What's the Jackie Milburn? Uh, Jackie Milburn was a famous like, footballer. Okay. And it was in a time when Jackie Milburn had retired. Okay. So it's that kind of... You've always got that sense around him. Like, I, oh, he's a inveterate liar. Yeah. I don't... But I don't... I think like he had to be generally likeable. He, mm. was, he was younger than the previous generation. He was younger yeah, he was than... One of the youngest politicians. Yeah. It was the first time we started having super young politicians. And I think you've been dominated by that image of the politician, like the yes minister, civil servant, yeah, politician-like yeah, archetype. Especially in comparison to Major. Yeah. He's just so old. It's like the people who'd gone into politics after they'd become managing director of a, mm. a chemicals firm or an accountancy firm. Again, another, another similarity with Theresa May. She was, yeah. I think she was head of, uh, f- like, chief financial officer for an accounting firm or a state accounting firm. Was she? Yeah. Oof. Proper dyed in the wool, grey suited civil servant type, mm. and people were had a little bit more money now. You have this, like I say, aspirational burgeoning middle class, mm. all of those people who could afford to buy the council houses that their parents lived in. Mm. You had those people, and they want kind of they want to feel good about the person who they're voting for. Mm. They're not kind of I think they're not quite stuck in that that traditional British kind of repression and, and stasis thing. They want to feel good brand. But I, I mean, maybe that they weren't particularly stuck in it, but also that they were scared of being stuck in it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They wanted to try and distance themselves. I had, um, I, last time I went over to see my cousins in Ireland, all the 30-somethings or 40-somethings were desperate to kind of talk about how Ireland's different than it was. Like, it's not like the land of, you know... Uh, uh, Magdalen laundries and mm. rural kind of people with eyebrows on their cheeks and, and Guinness mm. and limer and you know limericks and leprechauns and all that. Yeah. They were like, I, I am. I'm, I work in a chemical firm. I'm a head researcher at a chemical firm. Ireland's very different. You should come over more often. Ireland's very different now. It's fun. It's there's so many, there's so much music. It's that same kind. I, I I had that in about 2004, mm. but it was definitely that kind of thing. I think at the time mm. you had this. This desire to be done with... Yeah, to show that we're not fuddy-duddy. Yeah. And, yeah, I... Tony Blair went out of his way to kind of be likeable in a kind of lame way. Mm. I don't, like, there's this kind of myth that's grown up since Corbyn's come in that Tony Blair had the necessary, like, charisma Mm. to... It was oh he was so charismatic you you know you believed what he said you believed what he said he was mm. so charismatic I don't think people at the time thought that do you think I don't because we were quite young so like what so ninety four I mean, when he I becomes been, leader of the Labour Party I would have been ten yeah. well we would have been ten yeah yeah and so like I barely I remember the election happening but I had a bunk bed so <laughs> I remember the general the general I mean the stuff in Iraq made him you know Tony Blyer oh yeah I remember that because I was at university yeah no but I mean, but I mean that sense of him not of you not being able to kind of trust a thing he said, like he was like a kind of a David Brenty kind of a cool shit boss, mm. you know? Yeah. Like you could get away with murder under him and he tried to make you like him and you'd hang around for like one drink. Yeah. But then you'd be going off because it'd become annoying. I think yeah. people still had that sense of him in ninety seven. 
Yeah, he probably, yeah, probably. He was like that. Like the like the Dream thing, the things will only get better and yeah, seeing no all the Labour MPs. Believed that. Nobody believed that, but it were you were willing to go along with it because it was just so different from what had gone be before mm. it. Mm. You weren't a true believer, but you didn't have to be. You didn't Dream have to be a true believer. Yes, true. True. And that's yeah. I think that's it's like he wasn't that much cooler. But it was cooler enough. <laughs> it's again, it's like the triangulation thing. It's the the, the yeah. um, Blairite Labour Party was just a scooch to the left of um, of the Tories, and he was just a scooch cooler. Yeah, they also he could make that kind of he could appeal to the working class mainly because I think working class was in a very bad place then, and mm. it still is in mm. this country. But you could almost there were there was just enough scraps with like the kind of move to the service jobs and, mm. and call center jobs that you could have they were there was desperate this like cultural need to make cool jobs you would have a, a job that was interesting you mm. wouldn't just have the same job as your dad and i think that also hides something that the working class as it had grown up since 45 was very like male like quite old-fashioned mm. um that kind of thing. They had trade unions to protect them and they would support them, but it was still like a, there were boys clubs mm. and there was there was a desire to get away from that as well. So you could appeal to even even people who hadn't quite been lifted up by Thatcher into the yeah. middle class. Because they could still, still appeal to them. You could still appeal to the idea of not having like clothes shop, union, mm. factory type shit. Everything must be open. Open. Yeah. In our... You know, in our attitudes, in our like, what we what we listen, to, what music we listen to, whether we go to gigs, mm. it's like festivals mm. um, started being a well run like thing. Yeah, which you're not coming across that kind of opposition. You're not. It's not dangerous like mm. it was in the days of like raves and things like that. Mm. It's it's they're better run and people can go to them without getting knocked out and it's. It's a, I mean, it is a gentrification of culture, but definitely there's more of it, mm. and I think that's appealing. Yeah, yeah, I can see to it. a lot of people, you know. What yeah. I mean? Um. So they win in '97. Mm. Um. Through there's a few features. I'm not going to go through like a historical thing, mm. but there's a few features of of Blairism. I think it's worth discussing. So you just mentioned it a minute ago, triangulation. Mm. So they have this idea that again. This middle 30%, that's the one you want to go for. As long as you don't piss them off too much, and as long as you offer them a little bit, you'll be all right. Yeah. Well, as long as you don't piss off your base yeah. too much, yeah. they'll stick with you no matter how much to the right you go. Yeah. Like, as long as you, like, performatively offer mm. them things, mm. then you can get away with reducing taxation on the richest. And There was nothing you would ever see no measure you would ever see enacted that would be like, yeah, mm. I'm really behind that. Like, Jeremy Corbyn's so refreshing because he has that. It's like, oh my God, like, fucking tuition fees, gone, boom. Yeah. Whereas he was like, well, we'll, off you, we'll offset your uh, income tax against your thing and we'll, you'll have a tuition fees, but you'll pay a graduation tax and Ugh. you'll be repaying. It's a loan, it's a loan. It's that kind of thing. Um, it also involves a kind of, which Blair, once he got into power was very good at, which is elevating things above politics, and we still suffer from that today. Mm. Um, we've gone on and on about centrists, and mm. I've even seen it today with this uh, MP list mm. of people accusing other people of politicising. Politicising a politician. Politicising. To abuse yeah. staffers. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can't we just, you know, elevate this? And Blair used to do that all the time, yeah. but once he was in power, not not yeah. particularly before, although you could see signs of it with his speech on Jamie Baldra. Mm. And he well, kind of the... denounces the, the the lax morals and mm. the kind of the moral vacuum at the mm. centre of British life or whatever like that, where he becomes more like a kind of religious preacher <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, than he does a politician offering mm. a view. Mm. He does that a lot when he's in power. You know, he talks about things like the national interest and the right thing to do. Yeah. And I believed it was right at the time and that, that kind of language. Yeah, and the problem with that kind of language as well, because it takes, it does really take a lot of people off the hook. Because mm. it's like, like with the, it's elevating a thing to, to be above politics and saying things like, the, the Tories want the same thing that we want. Yeah. A nicer society, and it's like actually they really don't. What do you mean by a nicer society like that? Well, yeah, that's what, what what direction are you going in? His use of the word "nice" is very different to yeah. my, my yeah. use of the word "nice." It also kind of buries authority. Like if you say, "Let's not make this about politics. This isn't about left or right anymore. Mm. Um, let's go beyond politics. Let's go above p- politics and just do what's right." It kind of buries the fact that after that speech, he's still the same person. He still has mm. to make the same decisions according to a particular ideology. Mm. You know, like, you can say there's certain things that are, like, morally beyond politics. I don't know, murder? Well, not even murder. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically in Tony Blair's case, murder doesn't <laughs> particularly go beyond yeah. the political arena. But it buries that authority. He's still the Prime Minister, and you still have to get a sense of what he's trying to do mm. in that in that democratic yeah. arena. You have to get a sense of what he's going to do. The other um, pillar of New Labour which came out was more of a, uh, a managerialism, a, mm. a te- technocracy. Mm. Is that, I don't like saying the word because it's really clumsy to say in my mouth. That, number, yeah. that's, that, that many C's and that many changing soft C's and hard C's. I can't yeah. handle it. No, it's not, not built for... An estuarian yeah. tongue. His kind of compromise with what Thatcher did was kind of to regard... He regarded capitalism as a tool. Mm. So it's like, well, I want to improve people's material circumstances. You should agree with me because this is a long-standing socialist goal to improve yeah. the lot of the working class. Mm. I'm going to use capitalism to do it because capitalism is value-neutral and is therefore uh, just a tool to be picked up. And as long as it's picked up by the good people... Then it's all, it's all fine. Um, there's a <laughs> there's a quote I had from um, Raymond Williams way back in 1967 that I think is kind of uh, relevant here. The discussion about modernised Britain is not about what sort of society qualitatively is being aimed at, but simply about how modernisation is to be achieved. All programmes and perspectives are treated instrumentally. As a model of social change, modernisation crudely foreshortens the historical development of society. Modernisation is the ideology of the never-ending present. The whole past belongs to traditional society, and modernisation is a technical means for breaking with the past without creating a future. Again, like, he's not offering a better future. He's no. kind of offering this continual edge, like, edge of the present kind of thing. Mm. You know? Yeah. Hmm. And his idea is that, well, if you can have the good people in charge of capitalism, and the good people are managers mm. who've done so much for, you know, the coal industry yeah. and the finance industry and things like that. We should put them in charge of the NHS. Yeah. 
or education because yeah. it's natural. Because if they're good at one thing, all these things are basically the same. Oh, yeah. They're just work. They're yeah. just work to be done. And if and we could organise it right... Work is a thing that you do. It's like, it's mm. just a neutral force. I did seven works today. Yes. <laughs> I, it was amazing. I could have done eight, but, you know, I wasn't properly managed. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a new kind of civil servant kind of manager professional managerial yeah. the class the idea that, that a manager is a manager mm. and can manage anything be it yeah a coal mine or a hospital be it a research facility exactly or yeah they're yeah. exactly the same thing you still have uh, labour hours and all that kind of thing but then the ones the managers that they chose were like predatory hedge funds <laughs> He, I think it's also a function of where he came from, because all the, the new Labour, if you think of like the average new Labour minister, mm. if you think of like the John Major thing, which was, and the Theresa May thing, they're kind of in very, very boring industries. Mm. There's occasionally they get a few business people through, mm. but it's actually rare that they've been super duper successful businessmen, because mm. or businessmen or women, because they wouldn't go into politics, because no. they would have more power as successful businessmen. Yeah. New Labour kind of come from the professional classes. So mm. what you would think of as like the liberal middle class. So that's barristers, um, maybe high-ranking doctors, but not, not that mm. many. Lecturers, like those kind of admin people. And they, I think there's a, a sense where like they put people like themselves. They see people like themselves and they put those people in, in charge. You know? yeah. yeah, there is that thing. You definitely get that with... Um especially with new labor and you get it now you get it now with everyone now yeah. with all of the politicians now mm. that they can only recognize worth if the worth is exactly the same as their worth yeah if they can't understand it if it's not in that sphere mm. yeah they hit it they it's they put accountants in charge of everything mm. they do put like accountants in charge of the nhs in charge of schools and things like that there's no other dimension to it other than the money dimension and thatcher had done that before and major definitely mm. oh we're gonna you know we're gonna bring the vigor of private industry into the private sector into the public sector mm. but they never they never quite believed in it and and committed to it and refined it as much as blair did i don't think you can see that tendency in um things like PFI, yeah. which was a huge thing under Blair. Mm. Private finance initiatives whereby hospitals and schools needed repairing. Yeah. They had been underfunded for, you know, 20 years. There's a lot of kind of building damage. They hadn't been recruiting properly. They were trying to, in neoliberal terms, starve the beast, mm. make them run down. And his solution was, well, we're going to spend a lot more on schools, but we're going to put this middleman in there. We're going to put this manager in there because clearly you look at all these beautiful like finance buildings, these glass and steel towers, and they seem to be doing it right. So we'll put them in charge because we should put in the people who know about building buildings, accountants. Yes. You know. Um, and they signed really, really bad deals with them. I don't know whether they thought they were their equals or something. Like these predatory, sharky fucking... Well, uh, bit, uh, like they developers, knew, they knew what they were doing because, and you can tell they knew what they were doing because of mm. the revolving door mm. between ministers and civil servants and these companies that they had the PFI contracts with. Yeah, but you know, you have all those horrible stories of like light bulbs that cost two hundred pound to change because of yeah. the way that it was done in the contracts and all that kind of shit. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, opening up the um, NHS itself to mm. the internal market. Yeah, well, they did the thing of. Um, 
for the first time allowing bits of say you'd have say you'd have like a hospital and you'd allow a wing to become a booper wing yeah. type shit as well. Yeah. Which is horrid <laughs> in the extreme. Yeah. Well the um but then, you know, one of the things it's like um the thing with it's got a bit off target the thing with um private healthcare yeah. is a lot of private hospitals they they don't have um crash court, crash carts. They don't have um people to deal with heart attacks. Yes. Yeah. So they have to be near hospitals. Yeah. Because they call the they call nine nine nine. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why they wanted to be. Also, in. they can cream off the kind of easiest, quickest, oh, yeah, most yeah. cost efficient operations from the NHS. Yeah. With the NHS being forced to operate under those rules, so they have budgets mm. and they have targets, mm. monetary targets to meet budget targets and things like yeah. that, <clears throat> and forcing them to compete on an uneven level whereby you have to head out like lend out some of your work to the private sector because yeah. again they view it all as one piece of work there's mm. no difference between varicose veins and open heart surgery mm. or long-term cancer treatment mm. well it's the problem with private health care and it is a, the big the main issue no private company wants to do no one wants to run an accident emergency because they never make money no they can't make money no but it's required. Mm. They have that kind of, yeah, everything's... They've got the kind of attitude where it's like, everything's okay, everything's all right. We've got all the stuff. We're an advanced Western society. Yeah. So we can just... Uh, now it's time to like make some money off it and efficientize it. Effic- make it make it efficient. <laughs> efficientize. <laughs> um, and it's all about kind of... They're, they're very much in that mould where they're the ones who... Thatcher kind of broke the old way of doing things and left things in ruins. They're going to pick up the pieces and make people good capitalists. Yeah. You know, they're going to teach people. Mm. Uh, the welfare state, mm. for example. So we're going to uh, f- not focus it on mon- like surviving financially mm. families. We're going to use it to train people to, train people to be better. good workers or yeah. whatever. And universities, another another thing, the massive expansion in, in university enrollment, I would not... This is something I hear quite a lot on Twitter as like a Blair was, Blair was all right kind of talking point, which was I couldn't have gone to university without like uh, mm. Tony Blair expanding the the entry like the entry requirements mm. and t- encouraging people to go to university. Reason, I think that was probably true for me. Um, well, the reason well, um, the reason why the 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 reason why he did it though was so obviously self serving because the whole point of it is for the same reason that the Tories made it so you have to stay in school to the eighteen. Yeah. To reduce the amount of get unemployed people, young people. Get the people off the unemployed books. Yeah. yeah. And put and just delay it a bit, and that's why you, you see like people going, "Oh my God, look at all these grad these unemployed graduates." It's like, well, they would have been unemployed when they're eighteen. Yeah. Or at least now they've got masses of debt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, look, the numbers went up. Yeah. But also, we've raised an entire generation with crippling debt. We yeah. should thank him, really, because let's, let's face it, it's the base of Corbyn's support. Yeah. yeah. He's like over-educated, <laughs> I don't like the word, but I, I, over-educated kind of people who went through university through the last 10 years. Yeah. It's, it's those people. Um. The third aspect that I kind of wanted to like draw attention to is kind of related to technocracy, yeah. but modernization. Yeah. So he comes, Blair comes in with this 
uh, there's the famous speech he made, I think it was the 97 conference, where he says, there's no left and right anymore, the class war is over, there's no classes, there's just people and their families, and there's the people, the the old elites, the traditional elites, the old people, mm. they're getting in the way, and that's who we need to get rid of. It was like the, what was these, like the naysayers, mm. and the, the down in the dumps, the depressive people. We're, we're all happy here, and it's mm. all marching forward. Again, mm. as we mentioned earlier, to what end... But he didn't. He didn't have an end. No. He just had as long as everything looks new, and shiny, mm. and it has a different way, a modern way of doing it, and involves finance capital in some way. Yeah. Everything's all right. Yeah. You know, you can see it in um, like the most personal memory I have of like the early years of New Labour is gentrification and like urban regeneration. Yeah. So it happened in Medway. Where they had um, the area down by the river, Medway Valley Estate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it seemed to to me, wherever I went, there was, whatever town I I lived in or or, went to, there was a bowling alley, a cinema. A Frankie um, and Benny's. A Frankie and Benny's, yeah. A Frankie and Benny's or a a, TGO Friday or one of those. And a Gala gala Bingo. Although the Gala Bingo comes along later, Mm. I think. I think that comes in the next episode. We'll Mm. talk a bit more about Gala Bingo. (laughs) Um, Or like a a big nightclub. And it was these huge buildings Mm. that you filled with like retail stuff, shopping centres start springing up a lot more. Um, They had already been around, but they were kind of, they went into overdrive Mm. at this point. And filling kind of high streets and things like that. I think he understand. I think one of the things that he understood a little better than John Major, when John Major's talking about you know made cycling to mass and all that kind of shit, yeah. he Tony Blair understands that the consumer culture of Britain had kind of taken over. Yeah. So he caters to it a lot more in the way that he runs hmm. British capitalism. Yeah. You know he he really pushes the idea that you can have these big like entertainment venues and things like that and they'll employ people yeah, Hempstead Valley shopping centre being built which kills Gillian yeah yeah oh Hempstead Valley was before Blair because yeah, I remember yeah, it, was just, it was just yeah, before was just wasn't before. it yeah Saver Centre oh. <laughs> um, but yeah you can you can see his his particular in, in my mind that's always the impression that new labour made it was mm. like they were going to provide a load of fucking bread and circuses and distractions mm. and um, yeah those kind of things um, we can't finish Tony Blair off mm. without mentioning Cool Britannia mm. uh, a kind of like as mentioned earlier a, a general cultural sense that Britain had relevance again yeah that if it wasn't if we didn't have military or economic mm. power than we had we were in charge of cool yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and what we're going to do is we're going to rehearse re like re-rehearse all of the kind of guitar music that we'd already done i always like think of oasis yeah i don't really even think of like suede and pulp mm. as quintessentially new labor but i think of Oasis blur. Blur and blur, blur, blur. Actually, yeah, blur because they were also lying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Blur, bec- actually, blur are the better example than Oasis yeah. because Oasis did have a bunch of good tunes, <laughs> whereas blur 
No. <laughs> there was a, there was a Twitter thread today about Oasis actually mm. um, talking about the fact that it's all like the we're getting to twenty years since um, New Labour's victory mm. and talking and so you're getting all the kind of the face retrospectives mm. and you know Q music and all that kind of like stuff that was cool and now the music journalists who wrote about it are in like slightly better jobs, mm. <laughs> slightly more prominent jobs. Yeah. And somebody was saying, yeah, I was in a pub the other day and I. Uh, a load of Oasis tunes came on and there were just a load of 20-somethings banging them out. And I've noticed it. I, like I like people who are maybe 10 years younger than I am, yeah. they just have that same music taste Ugh. of things that they were were listening to then. And I mean, admittedly, we can't talk exactly. You know, we put on Yazoo every time we have a fucking party. Yeah, we're that drunk. Yeah. Fucking Pet Shop Boys and all that kind of thing. But it's it's weird that we haven't really moved on from that moment. Mm. I don't think like not in a mass culture sense that certain things change and obviously Call Britannia wore out as welcome very very quickly mm. but we never there's still that residual sense of like communal enjoyment of that same thing and it's 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 really weird mm. I expect people to be listening to new stuff yeah young people to be listening to new stuff and the fact that they're not really bums me out I think some of them are aren't mm. they Aren't some of them? Aren't they listening to the grind? Let me just check what's number one. Oh, it sold six hundred copies. No, they're not listening to new stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, there is that. But um, yeah, music doesn't sell anyway now. Yeah, it's done different ways. You have you have more access to that, and it's potentially uh, there's much much more choice. But the fact that people choose to listen to that kind of stuff is it's really weird. depressing. It's very depressing culturally. Like at least it's always it's not blur. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you kind of have a lot of different... So, there was the kind of era of the subculture, the 90s. So you had, mm. you know, the, the goths, metalers, mm. the um, punk. Punk was kind of... A, punk was long dead. A different thing. Yeah, but it still, like, hustled around street, uh, street corners and town centres. Oh, yeah, crusty punks, yeah. Yeah. It's, it took a while for the crusty punks to be finally gotten rid of. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, I don't... I, I, when was the last time you saw a crusty punk? Um... I used to see him a lot more in Birmingham, admittedly. Yeah, like, like, I don't see him around here because, like, what cross punk could live around here? Well, I used to see. Well, that's going back. But when I first started going to university, mm. um, there were a bunch around Waterloo yeah. still. But they've long gone. Actually, properly gone. Yeah, I think mm. they, they were gone the years ago. Like, you know, they got. Uh, cross Where would they like, live? I mean, like, the. Yeah. Well, you see it now with the councils take away people's um, sleeping bags and yeah. their, um, their tents. Yeah. Um, yeah, you even have the kind of beginnings of what I really hate now, which is it's it's con- tangentially tangentially related to the image of the centrist dad now. Mm. So his particular cultural forms, the the can of Stella, the one can of Stella, mm. um, the yeah, the playing guitar, that kind of thing. Was it a can of Stella? It would be a bottle of Holston pills. Hmm. I disagree. I disagree because Holston Pills is now an old person drink, whereas Stella is just the average. It wouldn't be Carling because that's not good. No, it would be. I think yeah, Grolsch or Stella. It's mm. the the patterns that a lot of them kind of had when they were coming up yeah. when they were thirty. Yeah, and now they're like forty five or fifty. It's a slightly depressing image of Clive Lewis holding a kind of red stripe. Mm. Mm. And they, you know. They finally promised themselves that they'll get that Bowie retrospective, that remastered Station to Station 
or you know the, they'll finally get into reggae the white man's reggae club. they'll finally understand the fall yeah or they'll, they'll start um, oh god didn't I say there was a thing online of um, exp- trying to um, I think it was Vox doing it explaining Captain Beefheart <laughs> that's it it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, like, I'll finally get to grips with Captain yeah. Beefheart yeah yeah um Um, yeah, so you have the kind of fetishization of like how our dads did it kind mm. of thing. It's sort of represented in like the lad, like the lad culture, mm. new lads and, and ladettes and things like that. Yeah. I think partially that's probably just a certain level of exuberance and a certain level of there's more things that you're able to do yeah. as a young person. Like it's not. Also, you started to get um, <clears throat> as restricted. You started to get credit based. Living, mm. so people have more money, even that's, though they don't technically have more money, they have more available. I suppose money. so. That's the, that's the other thing. I suppose we should discuss is just a general phenomenon, like the rise of like yeah, debt, credit, yeah. Um, and I was going to include like tax credits mm. as yeah, well. Our tax credits are what well, they're not one of the worst things because they are like they were designed in a certain way, but they had certain caveats. Yeah, that like, completely fucked them up, like. There were stories I remember when um, I had a like there was a reduction in hours mm. at one of my my jobs, mm. and we got a letter from the council from the HMRC to say we've overpaid you a load of tax credits for this year. You have to pay us two thousand mm. pounds, and it's like that that level of a maybe genuine desire to help people out and recognizing that they simply don't have enough money that yeah. wages haven't been high enough for fucking decades. But then. But then a rigid, rigid, like, um, culture and and set up around actually getting those Mm. that is ready to punish you. Really blending the best of (laughs) old socialism and new managerialism. Yeah, like, me and Holly for, um, for like, when we were first together, we didn't have that much money. The tax credits pretty much saved us. Yeah, but it's that horrible thing of like, if they ever overpaid you, they'd overpay. They overpaid you like say they overpaid you ten pound a week. Yeah, for six months. Yeah, and then they realise that, and then they demand it back, and it needs to be back right now. <laughs> and there's yeah. de- there's there's um debt debt accruing on that as well. Yes. And it, yeah, it's the worst kind. Of, it's the problem with like means testing and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, it's training you to be a a good capitalist. Yeah. It's training you to because they be, like they've still they as much as he took on Thatcherite economics in like a macro sense, mm. he took on the Thatcher moral v- vision of the world as well. Mm. He took on the idea that everybody is just in their families and they have a balance book, mm. and uh, you need to be taught how to balance out the balance book. Otherwise, you'll never become a a proper person, a yeah. real person. With the the, I think part. You know, when student debt becomes a thing because, you know, they expand universities and you can start getting all your big loans. It's teaching people from a young age to rely on that, that that this is how you live now. Yeah. That you will always need a little little top up at the end of the week. I think there's there's definitely something to that. Like the, it's not, it doesn't, you don't, you still have the shame element, I think, involved in having debt. But it's lessened because you know so many people, other people who Everyone are in is, debt. Everyone else is the same. Yeah, 
So it's it's, it's sort a normal of okay. it's a normal way of living. He he did kind of create a it's okay new, to have multiple credit cards. Yeah, a new way of living mm. because also in order to you know keep up with the or or to be the person that you see on TV, in order to be that person, you have to have a certain level of expenditure. Mm. You know, um, there's a really when I was looking up, up for stuff for this like a like a unifying theme. Obviously, the training people to be better capitalists comes mm. up quite a lot. There's a really great quote from um, uh, Silvia Federici, mm. who did Caliban and the Witch. Okay. It's a really good book. I would recommend it highly. That their modern like Labour's modernisation um, thing, is aimed at the people... When they say people who had been left behind, they essentially were coming from a place of like high, tech, high technological advancement. They're looking at people who are either... Um, like who are underdeveloped. I'll read the quote here. It's that um, it's the way that like um, he 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 views he views like the the like the modernization agenda as a like it's a way of forming a link between what he does domestically and what he does later internationally in in the global south. Uh, in this sense, there is an immediate connection between the strategy the left has for women and the strategy it has for the third world. In both cases, they presume that the underdeveloped, those of us who are unwaged and work at a lower technological level, are backward with respect to the real working class, in quotes. Mm. In both cases, the struggle which the left offers to the wageless, the underdeveloped, is not a struggle against capitalism, but a struggle for more capitalism mm. in a more rationalised, developed and productive form. In our case, they offer us not only the right to work, they offer this to every worker, but the right to work more. Mm. So it's like you're developing a new person that fits in with the modern world that you created. Mm. You're not going to create any new worlds for them. No. You're just going to incorporate them mostly as Marxists, you know, to your benefit. Yeah. But you're going to force them into this. And I think he was definitely the... Uh, he was a kinder version of that, maybe. He was a less obnoxious, a less forthright version of that, I mm. suppose is the best way of putting it. But that's, that's yeah, mm. that's how it goes. And it's like um, Harriet Harman when she came into office. She supported the cuts to lone parents that she'd previously opposed. <laughs> and offered, but she put it in the terms of a pioneering programme which marks a radical new approach to welfare, bringing work, skills, opportunities and ambition it's like you don't have your problem is you're just not motivated to work for us. She's saying get on your bike, but in nicer language. Yeah, you need to work for us, but we're going to make it at least so that you feel like you're developing into the new person you know you could be. Mm. And he's doing that for individuals and for the class and for the whole country. That's mm. what he's trying to do. Yeah, I think that's. And early on, I think he. He does it kinder. A lot of the things that he he puts in place are are benefits, but you definitely see his more disciplinary tone come out. I think we're going to cover it next week a bit, little more. There's more obvious more obvious examples after two thousand one and nine eleven of him becoming kind of more authoritarian. So in two thousand, he makes the speech about um, frog marching offenders to uh, cash machines. So mm. people like hanging around on the street corners or like uh, potential muggers. Mm. Given all the like racial animus that's built up behind the idea of muggers in the eighties, yeah, that they would frog march people to the cash machine to get the cash out that they didn't have, which is why they were out robbing. Like, yeah, it's that kind of like he definitely. That's why I think it was probably a good idea to uh, with, that we're going to end this part of the Blair discussion in two thousand because you definitely see from two thousand as crime like recorded crime goes down. It's mm. quite low, but. 
he's really, really concerned with pandering to people's particular prejudices on crime, mm. which leads him to become a lot more authoritarian. And obviously with 9-11 and everything, the civil liberties thing comes up and it, uh, it becomes a lot more... Uh, he becomes a lot harsher, a lot less fun. You know, As if he were for walls. Um, yeah, I think like... Overall, like this early period, like you have New Labour emerging, it comes out of a particular historical moment, as I've mentioned. It's that one hot minute. Mm. It's the there's a lack of ideological alternatives. There's a, a, a capitalist class like flush with fucking money mm. and about to get richer from the incorporation of Eastern Europe into the kind of like capitalist yeah, superstructure. A whole load of new places to invest into. Yeah. Um, they're easy with credit. So, as we mentioned with debt, you've got people begging to mm. to offer credit and offer mortgages mm. for houses. Lots and lots of houses at really easy terms. Mm. Again, putting problems in. I don't think, I don't think Labour ever, up until recently, hadn't moved from that process. You can still see people who idolise Blair. They can never quite move on from that 97 moment, that enthusiasm yeah. they felt. Maybe they were like committed Labour Party members from ninety two to ninety seven. Yeah, Maybe they, the could, only they still who would have believed. Survived would have been, but like the desire to go back, aside from being a kind of personal nostalgia on the part of certain middle class people who've really aged out of relevance or, or coolness or whatever you want to call mm. it, so desperate to recall that particular bit and think that it's a general principle. And it's like New Labour was never a general principle. It was no. an electoral strategy combined with a. Like going with the flow of what happened of the the capitalist class of the nineties main ideas. Mm. Even the tech sector now has still never been able to quite. There are differences, but I don't think it's ever been able to quite get over that initial flush after the after the Soviet Union ended, and there were all yeah. these like possibilities for new technologies and, and things like that. They've never been able to quite move beyond that. And I think like, New Labour couldn't move beyond it either, no. which is why, as they went along, they got increasingly arsy with people, which mm. is, I think, what we're going to go into a bit more next week. About, you just want to do fucking talk. Yeah, law and order shit and mm. stuff like that. It, it, gets, it gets worse. Mm. It gets a lot worse. Um, and then next week we get into Iraq as well. So that's it's always fun. It's always a good, joyful time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, so I think that's it for us this week that has been episode 34 um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes you can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast you can follow me at BM Bergamo and you can follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing I think that's it for us this week tune in next week for our second part Blair's got a Dammerung thanks guys bye about the fighting game when Mr. Hoover said to cut my